Welcome to Maximize Your Influence, your resource for the top persuasion, influence, and negotiation techniques that will help you maximize your success in life and business. And now, here are your hosts, Kurt Mortensen and Steve Olson. Hello to the friends of Maximize Your Influence. This is Kurt Mortensen, podcast number 193. Welcome back. Welcome aboard. Please share with your family and friends, not not your enemies, because you don't want them to be more persuasive than you. (laughs) But do share it. Like it on iTunes. We do appreciate that. Of course, I can be reached at Kurt at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. That's K-U-R-T with your comments. In fact, Appreciate all the emails and feedback this week. I did do years. I am older. I don't know if I'm feeling older. Maybe I'm looking older. I don't know, but I am older. But I do appreciate all those that reached out, did stuff, sent stuff. Really appreciate it. Touched my heart to know that there are a lot of good people out there. Do appreciate that. Thank you for that. Let's get rolling with the geeky article of the day. Dedicated to Steve Olson. Here is Urkel. <laughs> This one comes from your favorite, Social Psychological Perspectives on the Self. And a Journal of Personality and Social Psychology. It's called Self-Verification Theory. The term came up on a show probably three, four weeks ago. And I've been getting some email about it. What is this self-verification theory? Is it similar to cognitive dissonance? And hopefully you know about dissonance and cognitive dissonance and how people persuade themselves. That is a maximum influence in one of the 12 laws of persuasion. It's very important to understand the human mind. But self-verification is somewhat similar. It's social psychological theory that inserts that people want to be known and understood by others according to their firmly held beliefs and feelings about themselves. We want other people to see us how we see ourselves. They've done studies where people reject those who provide social feedback that doesn't confirm with their self-views. For example, maybe a spouse that sees you too positively even though you don't see yourself that way. It's interesting because people tend to gravitate towards relationships that provide them with evaluations that confirm their self-views, whether true or not and fled from those who did not. And so we surround ourselves with people that support how we feel about ourselves. It could be positive or negative. Because people need to seek a confirmation of their self-concept, even though it could be negative. And so we surround ourselves with those people that maintain that self-concept. Again, positive or negative. That's why we scratch our head when some people live with a partner who is abusive and unpleasant and negative and demeaning because that could support their self-concept about themselves. And it's a downward spiral. And it can be devastating to people. In fact, they found that children are told they're bad by their parents. You're a bad person. You're always doing bad things. They become bad. I saw one study once where, I don't even remember the number, but parents who told their children, yeah, you're going to go to jail someday. It was astounding the number that actually went to jail. So the bottom line is self-verification theory proposes that people want others to see them as they see themselves. In fact, researchers asked participants with positive and negative self-views whether they would prefer to interact with evaluators who had favorable to unfavorable impressions of them. It was interesting that those with positive self-views preferred the favorable partners, but on the flip side, those with negative self-views preferred the unfavorable partners. Like, wow, that's pretty interesting. Is it that intense? Yeah, whether it be married couples, college roommates, dating partners, we gravitate toward people who provide verification about how we feel about ourselves, how we see ourselves, and we drift away from those who do not. It could be how they see themselves aging or their social role, or how they're seen in the community. The bottom line, people can change. They can initiate that change, but they have to conclude that the self-view is blocking 
them on an important goal. So the best way to help yourself or other people change is to see themselves impeded against a goal. Meaning, if they could have this goal, they've always wanted this goal, they could see that this self-concept, this belief, the way they see themselves is stopping them from this vital goal. It could be weight, it could be relationships, it could be wealth, it could be creating a business, any of those things. That was the biggest thing that made a difference to help them change their self-view, to surround themselves with different people, and steer themselves in a better direction. So that is self-verification theory. can be damaging to you, could be damaging to your children, could be damaging to the people that you work with or you're trying to motivate, but be aware with that. You can see the little signs, but if you want to create that change in yourself and others, you've got to identify that big goal that they've always wanted, that they're not able to get, and help them see for themselves that this self-belief, the self-verification is holding them back. So way deep on the Geeky article today. Hopefully that made sense to you. But this is real. If you want to read more about that, that's in Maximum Influence under Cognitive Dissonance. So let's get into some content today, some things to help you out. Always in the world of persuasion, motivation, and influence. And this one's kind of a niche area, but something we all do, at least I'm assuming we do, is how do you create that perfect persuasive email? Because email is used to start persuasion, to start negotiations, to start relationships. There's email, there's texting, and I'm kind of treat them about the same because it's interesting when you talk about email or texting, the great thing about it is you have time. You can think it through. You can control your language. You can look at the words you're using and how you're going to say it. But some people get so impulsive that they jab back. If somebody sends something that's negative or mean, wow, they send something back right away. I think we've all regretted sending things back too soon. We were too impulsive. We weren't restrained enough. And so you can use that to your benefit. You don't have to send something back right away. I know it's fun to do that. But that is the one of the great things about email and text is you can control your language. You have time. You don't have to send it right away. If it's a very emotional situation, you can have somebody else read it. So let's talk about some things you can do to make your emails a little more persuasive. Probably the first thing you're doing if you're initiating the email is ask yourself, what is your call to action? I mean, that's the first thing. What do you want them to do? Do you want them to respond? Do you want them to call you? Do you want them to finish up a project? Do you want them to purchase something? Whatever it is, what is it you want them to do? Click on a link, anything. That's what you have to decide first because your whole email is going to lead to that call to action. Make it simple and easy. Put in a hyperlink to where they just click on the link and it goes right there. Don't make them cut and paste it or have them find it. Make it as easy as possible. I look at Amazon, Amazon One Click. I don't know if you've seen that before. Wow and wow. You're looking at a book or something like this that says, oh, one click, you click on it. Done and done. It is shipped. It is wrapped. It is it is en route. Your credit card's changed by clicking one button. Because we know on the internet that every button, every step, it decreases the compliance. So make it as easy as possible for them to do what you want them to do. Then once you know that, that helps you create a, a powerful subject line. This is your headline. This is where you become persuasive. This is where they decide if they're going to open it up or not. How are they going to benefit? What is it going to do for them? What's in it for them? Why should they care? Are all different questions that you can ask. I mean, you should become a student of the National Enquirer. I don't know if you should be reading it, but you should read the headlines that grabs people's attention. The five ways to do this. The seven secrets of this. Those type of things really grab people's attention. What can you do to grab their attention to get them into your world, to answer the what's in it for me. Those are the type of things that make a big difference. It's powerful. Now, if it's somebody you're emailing all the time, probably not as important, but still, the better you can make your subject headline, 
It increases your persuasion and the chances of going to open the email because they can't open it. You're not going to be very persuasive, right? You can't persuade them at all. So think that one through. A lot of times in those headlines, you can think, what is the problem to solve here? What's the issue? Is it costing money? Is it costing time? Is it costing a relationship? Is it costing them health? Let them know that you have their best interest in mind, that you care, and that you are working with them. So some things to think about as you start creating subject line and start getting into your email copy. Now one thing too as you're thinking this through is thinking about your sense of urgency, your scarcity you can call it. Why should they respond? How do you get them to act now? You can make it as easy as possible. Because if they keep it as new or put a star on it or you know, they're going to get back to it later, oh, that dramatically decreases the chance that that's ever going to happen. And so you want to get them to respond as quickly as possible. What's the urgency? Why do they need to act now? What is the scarcity? And, and don't make it something of high lactose that's cheesy, as we call it here on the show. But what can you do to get them to act? How's it going to benefit them to respond quickly? And, and make sure it's something real. Don't just make something up. We see this too often on the furniture stores that go out of business every two years or two months even. And make sure it's believable. Let them know why you need it by Friday at noon. Let them know why you're only accepting five people. Let them know why you need to hear from them today. And that just increases the chances they're going to do it. No guarantees, but every one of these steps that you add increases the chances you're going to be persuasive and they're going to respond back to you. And of course, part of the latest research with that we've shared on the show before too is that when you create scarcity, buffer it with some type of reward. Yeah, the sale does end Thursday at noon, but you know if you do it before then, I can double your minutes. Yeah, I need to hear back to you Friday by 5. But if I you do hear by 5, you know what? I can do this and this for you. And so for a lot of people, having the scarcity and reward increases the chances they're going to respond back. But there has to be urgency. Again, the, the keeping it as new, I'll respond later. Whether it be sales or anything, that could really hurt you and you're not going to be on their radar. You want to stay on their radar. Next thing I would do, especially if you're in marketing and persuasion negotiation, is learn to love spam. Not the meat. I guess if you go to Hawaii, <laughs> you can learn to love spam. The, I guess it's short for spiced ham. But you go to McDonald's in Hawaii, they actually serve spam for breakfast and a few other things. A lot of cultures do enjoy spam. But I'm sure spam doesn't like that they are called spam when you get an unwanted email. And it really boggles my mind that people get so upset with their spam. You can send them a huge envelope unsolicited to their physical mailbox, but if it goes to their digital email box, look out. And I understand it a little bit, but embrace spam. Look at spam. Sign up for different email lists and, and learn to benchmark. Have a special file where you just label it benchmarking, and that's how business is done. See what other people have done with similar products or services. What headlines have they used? What scarcity have they used? What are they saying that's interesting? What is their word choice? And even competing products, even completely different products you can pull from. Here's what's interesting. When you're doing email, sometimes what worked a year ago has diminishing returns. It's not working as well. So you have to be aware of some of the styles that are changing, some of the word choices changing, some of the subject lines that are changing. But enjoy your spam. Have a little spam for breakfast when you sit down at your computer and read a few spams or save a few spams or get on a few email lists that you could take a look at the emails that you're getting. That's how you become good, is really benchmark what other people are doing. Don't, don't copy it, adjust it, fine tune it. You like this, use this word, use that, adjust that, have a similar story. I'm telling you, 
My undergrad degree is in advertising. That's what you do in advertising. That's what you do in marketing. You benchmark first what other people are doing, what's working. You craft and you mold your own type of thing that'll be for you. So benchmarking is a huge one that a lot of people really don't think about. So embrace the spam. <laughs> That's the message of the day. Embrace your spam, eat your spam, read your spam. Now don't waste a lot of time on it, but just take a look at it. It can be very, very beneficial to you. And one of the biggest ones is another law of persuasion called verbal packaging. And this is a maximum influence. It's in the audio series Magnetic Persuasion. Basically, it's using the leverage of language. Words affect attitudes, beliefs, and emotions. And the more you're good at crafting the right words, you come across as more credible, competent, and convincing. In fact, a psychologist was studying hundreds of successful men and women to determine the reason for success. And she found that one of the common skills was using words and how they use their words. And earning power was linked to these words and these word skills. Isn't that interesting? So when you have the command of your language and persuasion, words matter. Especially if I'm bringing this with email, it's all words. I mean, there's emoticons and those type of things. and But for the most part, you're dealing with words. And people have a different version of the words and how the word makes them feel. And you got to be very careful on the words you use. You know, I love what Mark Twain said. He says, you know, the difference between the right word and the wrong word is the difference between lightning and a lightning bug. <laughs> okay? So bottom line is the words you use are going to attract or repel people. And you have to really take a look at the words you use. You know, keep them simple. Simple words are more persuasive than complex words. For mechanics, the word fix outpulled the word repair. Isn't that interesting? Keeping it simple. So think about some of the words you're using. And some words you're probably using aren't persuasive at all. I mean, if is not as persuasive as when. Try is not as persuasive as will. Even a word like could is not persuasive as can. Then there's the word but. See, the challenge of the word but, it negates everything in front of you. you got to be really careful the word but. Try to use the word and. I mean, gentlemen, I don't know if you've ever had this happen. If <laughs> You said, look great tonight, dear, but you got to be very careful of things like that. Do not use that. Now, strategically, you could use but to discount maybe the competition. Yeah, that was that's a really great product, but that's an interesting industry, but you could strategically use it, but most people use it completely in the wrong way. Then there's always the power words that you can use. Discover, guarantee poll as well. Results is a great one. Of course, people are always concerned about health or wealth. Quick, easy, avoid, benefit proven, facts. The facts are the facts show. Those are always persuasive words. Every word matters. In fact, Ellen Langer, she's a social psychologist at Harvard. She does a lot of famous studies with word and word choice because it matters. People can go to court to decide, okay, we can use the word fetus or unborn child because it matters. I saw one court case where they were trying to decide if they were going to use sex change surgery or gender reassignment. Isn't it interesting the way we package things? Every word triggers different things. So she did something really interesting. She had a picture of a basketball player and, and asked people, how tall is he? It was the first half. And the second half, she said, how short is he? And they had them estimate the height just based on the picture and saying, how tall is he and how short is he? 12-inch difference in estimations. Isn't that interesting? Or she had a video of cars crashing into each other and said three groups all watched the same video. And the only difference was the question she asked. He wanted them to estimate the speed. How fast were they going when they contacted each other was the first group. The second group was how fast were they going when they hit each other. And the third group was how fast were they going when they smashed into each other. 
they estimated, and there's a 10 mile an hour difference in estimations between contacted and smashed. It matters. Look at the words you use. Find powerful words, and it'll make a huge difference in what you're able to do in your success. So if you want to go back and learn about sense of urgency or scarcity, that was on podcast, way back podcast 15. Of course, that is located on Influence University. The podcast archive is free. There's also the 52-week PhD program in persuasion on there. Take a look at it and check it out. One final thing about your persuasive emails before we get to the persuasion ninja today, actually is the Zygarnik effect. I've talked about that on the show because it's a powerful tool that a lot of people don't know about, is that the human brain remembers things that are unfinished better than things that are finished. When things are suspenseful or intriguing or you've left out a piece or a portion or you forgot a number, meaning you went from number two to number four, it freaks out the human brain and remember it more. So in your emails, if you leave something that's unfinished, hey, I found the perfect solution, give me a call. You know the three things we talked about? I found two of them. Anything you can leave unfinished, the brain's going to remember more. Just like network TV, right? Murder mystery, the knife comes up, they break to commercial. It's unfinished, we're going to stick around. You also have maybe your local news. Say something like, hey, your drinking water's killing you. Stay tuned. It's unfinished. We need it more. <laughs> That's why college students and others freak out. If you're in a PowerPoint slide and you flip through three or four that aren't that important, they've missed out. It's unfinished. What are you doing? <laughs> you got to be careful of things like that. It can help you and it can hurt you. And so the Zygarnik effect is something that can also work well in your persuasive emails. And I'll bring that kind of to the Persuasion Ninja. I thought this was really interesting. And I've seen this before, but the first time I really thought about it, it is the cable station TNT. And other people do this. They're not the only ones. I just happened to be watching TNT at the time. I'm going to give them credit for this. And this is partially the Zygarnik effect, too. So I was watching a movie with my daughter. Right, We were just sitting and watching it came to an end and the credits started to roll and they shrunk those credits and they started the next movie instantly wow persuasion ninja here's the sound they kept your attention right the next one's already starting because we know when the credits roll it's probably three four five minutes time to do other things turn it off do something else but all of a sudden the next movie's starting and it's rolling and things that are happening in the beginning that are Suspenseful. You're not sure what the movie is and what's going on and what's happening. A little Zygarnik there. I thought that was a powerful tool. We even see this in the movie theaters, especially with your superhero movies, especially to where at the end of the credits, something's going to happen that's going to kind of tell you what's going to happen in the next movie. It'll be something funny, something interesting. I don't know what their intent is with that one. If they want you to watch their credits, I'm sure if you've made a movie that you want people to see your names and all the people involved. But I thought that was an interesting thing to put it right at the very end, keep people around, something that can help you in your emails, but you got to keep their attention. But anyway, thanks for listening this week. Really appreciate your comments and advice. Remember, it's Kurt, K-U-R-T, at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. Thanks for listening. Go out there and persuade with power.